Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we will be talking about Star Wars Dark Disciple by Christy Golden. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course, with me as always are Chad J. Schonk and Ryan Schweck, but over to Chad first. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. So if that is something that bothers you, you've been warned. We also may talk about anything else Star Wars, spoil anything else Star Wars, especially with this and its relation to the Clone Wars. So if you're not caught up on Clone Wars, you're not caught up on these characters, you may not want to listen. So this has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, any news? Not a whole lot. It's been kind of dead the last two weeks. There was an interesting article coming out in Variety about kind of Disney's new direction that they are taking now that uh, Bob Chapik is now kind of running the show with Iger leaving. And what was interesting about it is they, an exec did confirm that Kevin Feige is happy over at Marvel. He is, you know, he was one of the rumored ones that might take over Lucasfilm if Kennedy leaves and. So they've kind of squashed that and said, nope, no Feige, which is good. He's still going to produce his movie or movies. I think it's just a movie at this point. But yeah, he's going to stay where he's at. So he's been doing an okay job. Yeah. You know. world, so it's been going okay for him. Yeah. I think he's yeah. got a little bit of job security. He can dip his toes, but, uh, you know, stay where stay where you're doing a good job. I believe he's probably the most successful producer in movie history now. Oh, he has to be. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Just over in a little bit of collecting news for people that look for these sort of things. So we had talked about previously part of the Lucasfilm 50th line. Um, they've kind of done these Black Series figures on the retro cards. And one of the ones people love the most were the Clone Wars figures that are coming out. Um, there's a Anakin, an Obi-Wan, an Echo, and a Hawk. And they're on that really cool kind of clone trooper helmet card. The bad news initially was that they were Target exclusives. But what has happened all of a sudden, they are in stores. They were supposed to be part of a Father's Day in cap. However, if you go to your store, and some Targets apparently have given up and are just putting them on the shelves. But if you provide them the UPC, they'll bring them out and they are not street locked. So you can buy them. Kind of what that echo. It looks really cool. I've seen it. I didn't buy it yet, but my target had like 10. Like they have tons of them. So this isn't like G.I. Joe where they're getting like none of them. There's a lot of them. I got notification that my Jackson shipped today. <sighs> he's he's almost perfect. The head is just yeah. a little too realistic. I don't even know if I want it, but I couldn't not buy it. Yeah. It was just so bizarre. I just so crazy and bizarre to me that they were putting out a Jackson six inch. I was like, well, I just have to buy that. The box is very nice. Like that was one that definitely looks like it could stay in the box. So yeah, you can ask your target to bring them out. Please be nice. The <laughs> target's having lots of issues with, and this is just a general collecting nerd kind of thing. Have y'all heard about all the trouble at Target? About I heard, heard about, uh, was it Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah, so these trading card people are nutso and it caused all hey. these problems and somebody got like, <laughs> I was going to say, Ryan. I would like to say that Target still has magic cards out in the open. Well, and so they're going to stop selling all that stuff in June. But part of what has happened at Target is they've instituted this one per customer rule for collectibles. And what's happening with toys is some Targets are telling people, like, say you find all four of these new Star Wars figures, Target will only let you buy one of them. Wow. People are upset. Now, it's not all targets, and I, my target doesn't seem to care. Yeah, but you're in Alabama. Yeah, but do target employees have time to care? Really? Apparently some do. Some are being kind of crazy. I was at my Barnes & Noble, because uh, it's one place I can go where it's like social distancing is not an issue at a bookstore these days. And they have moved all their magic cards behind the counter like I'm you know, buying epinephrine or something. <sighs> Tell like the entire thing. Like I went to where they usually have the magic cards to just see, because they usually actually have pretty cool stuff in. And I went to look and it was gone. And on the way out, I saw it behind the counter. 
I'm sorry, Barnes, Barnes and who? I, I don't know what that is anymore. I don't know where one is even close to me anymore. No more, no borders, but we have a Barnes and Noble. Yeah, we have uh, Books a Million. Not a bad place to get action figures. And then in our rumor side, so we had kind of joked about this, and I would love listener feedback. Uh-oh. On what awesome name we can give the rumor section <laughs> to <laughs> separate it from regular news. Okay. We'll come up with some idea. What was your first idea? My current favorite is the Whisper of the Wills. <laughs> We're looking for something really cheesy and really bad for the rumors. Yep. Just rumors that come out. Sometimes they're on wegotthiscovered.com, but are just funny rumors <laughs> that you want to talk about and be like, that's ridiculous. Well, I think the more ridiculous the name, the better, because We Got This Covered is nothing but ridiculous <laughs> rumors. So the first rumor that did not actually come from We Got This Covered is that Disney is looking to cast Omara Jade, and they are looking at Brie Larson. And that one went around quite a lot. I don't know. I mean, do I think she's going to show up, right? Mara? Yeah. There's been too much chatter about it. Well, and the fact that Zahn has gone on record and said that he's pitched stories, and she is the one he wants to kind of bring into new canon and... Disney has not let him. If they do cast her, look, I, would she be fine? I guess. I mean, she's fine. But Lord, I do not want to hear the fan reaction to that after how they've reacted to her as Captain Marvel. I don't want to hear certain fans' reactions. Right. The The problem is the people you don't want to hear will be the only ones that you hear. They're very, they're very, very loud. I think she'd be fine. I don't love her as Captain Marvel. I think she's somewhat miscast, but I think she was better in the Avengers movie than she was in her own movie. Mm-hmm. I think she'd be fine. I guess they moved on from Karen Gillan. I guess so. I guess they decided to look past just finding a redhead. They realized that hair dye exists. Wait, that's not Katie Sackhoff's real hair color? I thought. Probably not. Wow. Oh. And our last rumor this week that actually has a little more credence to it, and I could see happening, is that the... MacGuffin, if you will, of season three of The Mandalorian is going to be the old uh, Sun Crusher. <laughs> I don't know. The Sun Crusher? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, the Sun Crusher. Okay. I, it's the Sun Are they going to bring in what's his name? Some Dark Jedi. Uh, you know, they could, what's his, uh, what's Quig Cooks? Is that how you said it? <laughs> That's who makes it. Yeah, but what was the guy that fired it? He was the Jedi that, like, he was like the bad boy Jedi that almost went dark and then ended up being good again. Kip. Kip Duron. Yes. Kip Duron. I, you know, well, they could bring in the Maw research facility, I guess. I mean, do we need another stupid planet killing? Well, this is like a solar system killing weapon, but. I, I would argue that it's not a suitable replacement for Grogu <laughs> in the public discourse. <laughs> Well, remember, Grogu is moving on to Plue and Gru. So <laughs> that's true. He's busy right now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's our news for the week. You know, uh, Bad Batch is trucking along. It's been yep. really good. And uh, we'll see where that one goes. Yeah, I think we finally know what it's about. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm behind on it. But, you know, I, I've, got, I've got my own galaxy to save. Mass Effect is <laughs> taking up all my spare time. Nice. Yeah, I would like right. to say I'm not going to call her Omega. I'm going to say Omega, and that's just what it is. It's it's only Omega if you're a Kiwi. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have the accent. You don't have to say that. Yeah, so that's our news for the week. There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. You are free to use any methods necessary, but I want them alive. No disintegrations. As you wish. Ever since 1980, Star Wars fans have been obsessed with bounty hunters and whether it's Han's kind of uh, vague reference to one on Ord Mandel or whether it's the lineup, the usual suspects lineup. Star Wars fans have been hooked on the idea of bounty hunters ever since. And the book that we read today has a lot of bounty hunter stuff in it. So I thought we'd talk about our favorite bounty hunters and kind of the place they play in Star Wars. You know, you have the you have the Jedi and you have the Sith and you have the Rebellion and you have the mm-hmm. Empire. But classically, Star Wars has always had this middle thing that we call what? The Underworld? 1313. 
Yeah, it's, it's the third faction in the Star Wars galaxy. Are you Empire? Are you Rebel? Or are you Underworld? So I thought we'd talk a little bit about bounty hunters we like, maybe a couple that we don't like. It could be canon. It could be non-canon. It could be classic ones. It could be new ones, whatever. So, um, Beth, what's the first one that came to your mind? I'm going to get crap for this one because I'm sure nobody else thinks that Aura Singh is cool. I got nothing against Aura Singh. But the first time I saw her in that movie, I was like, she looks cool. Who the hell is that? You, you didn't get to see a lot of female bounty hunters before that. Yeah. And she was kind of a badass in, in the Clone Wars when they expanded upon her. Mm-hmm. She's the actual Boba Fett of the prequels. Right. Someone who like had like a brief cameo looked really cool when everyone said, I want to know more about that person. And that's exactly what I said when I saw her. I was like, who is that? She looks badass. And they kind of worked her into Boba Fett's origin, right? And training Boba and mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, I think they've done some cool stuff with her. And then it didn't occur to me, like so many things that happened in Clone Wars, it didn't occur to me you don't actually see her die until I watched Solo and they mentioned that Tobias Beckett. Yeah. You're Tobias Beckett. You killed Aura Singh. Wait, wait, what? No, rewind. I have a hard time believing Woody Harrelson killed Aura Singh. You have a hard time believing that Mickey Knox killed her? Shit, man. I'm a natural born killer. It wasn't. He didn't kill her, by the way. Pushed her. Pretty sure the fog killed her. You did the galaxy a favor that day. I'm eagerly anticipating that story. I want them to tell us that story sometime. I'd, I'd like that story, too. If Solo had been a huge hit, we would have already heard it by now. She was the first one that came to my mind. Right. Um, the first one that came to my mind is like Beth, a, a newer one, but it's Cad Bane. He's awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just no like way about it. Like the look, like that Western look. His character was great on Clone Wars. He can take on Jedi. Like, I got business with the Senate. How about you, fella? Step aside. On your knees. Raise your hands slowly, son. I wouldn't be so hasty if I were you. You know, he's a Duros, which we'd never really seen a Duros in any capacity other than like those guys in the spacesuits in the mm-hmm. in New Hope. And also, yeah, he's got he's their Clint Eastwood. Yeah, right. He's them really truly leaning into the Western roots. Yeah. Of the gunslingers and everything, even more so, even more than a Han or somebody. And they always avoid, you know, sometimes in the Clone Wars, you know, they would show, you know, a bounty hunter doing something stupid or being silly as is Star Wars yeah. that they do. But Cad Bane never did. Like, he's always awesome. And, you know, yeah. there's rumors he's going to be on Book of Boba Fett, which I really hope is true, because I think there's a lot more stories that he would be great in. He's a very cool character. He was he was on the top of my list, too. That's who I thought was going to save uh, Fennec Shan or wanted it to be the person who saved Fennec Shan in The Mandalorian. Turned out Boba Fett was pretty cool, so I'm, I'm okay with that. But that's who I wanted it to be at first was I wanted it to be Cad Bane. So the first one I'm going to bring up is a surprise to me. And I'll also go new before I go to maybe more classic ones. But um, I'm going to say IG-11 was a blast. Species age differently. Perhaps it could live many centuries. Sadly, we'll never know. No. We'll bring it in alive. The commission was quite specific. The asset was to be terminated. We always wondered how IG-88 fought, what it looked like when he actually went into combat, because he really was... If you had the action figure for IG-88, you have to realize that it was the most brittle, skinny, fragile thing. Mm-hmm. You couldn't touch that thing. You just had to put it on a shelf and look at and it. You could barely move its legs like the original one. And so it, it was not formidable at all. And so to see on Mandalorian that first time where IG-11 just kind of kicks it up a notch and actually starts fighting and killing people was amazing. It's one of my favorite things about that first season. And then the whole arc of the character and obviously Taika is great, but I thought it was really cool to finally see this really janky looking assassin droid that was designed to just stand still for one scene in Empire Strikes Back finally come to life. Droids. I'm going to pick one that I don't think is on Schweck's list. And I think I'm going to go with another Clone Wars era because I think Embo is very cool. Was on my list. 
Oh, well, I knew there was somebody else that you had mentioned, so wanted to make sure he got he got in there. His look is cool. And actually, he's not just Clone Wars because he he survives all the way through the Aftermath trilogy yep. and gets a pardon, but doesn't kill Mercurial Swift. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... Hold off on Mercurial Swift. Wait till I get to my number one. <laughs> I already told you, who is the best bounty hunter and why is it Dengar? <laughs> I don't mind Dengar. Nobody does. He probably smells. I bet he smells. He looks like he smells. Mm. Embo's got that very cool samurai look. He's got that awesome hat slash shield slash can cut your head off with it. He's just a very cool looking character. And the fact that he never says a word of basic helps his mystique. He's kind of like Odd Job. Yes. He's the Star Wars version of Odd Job. He doesn't talk and he like can kill people with his hat. And if he is in a video game, it would be unfair to play as him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Ryan, go ahead. Um, I think for a second, I'm going to go for one that I always loved as a kid and loved the figure, and that's Bosk. You know, there's just something about that uh, Trandoshan design that always, you know, appealed to me. And then later when you get to hear him talk on Clone Wars and they have that, like, weird kind of Slezak voice. <laughs> I just always liked him. And he ate all his brothers and sisters when he was born, which is just creepy and gross. I've always liked Boss because he's basically like the biggest asshole in the galaxy. Yeah. Like he he's actually got quite a bit of personality because he's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> he's just really terrible. In all the comics and all the stories, he's always screwing over everybody else. And for some reason, they're all like, I've got Bosk on my team this time. <laughs> You're like, you idiot. He's going to take it and run. He's terrifying looking. And I, I know that Trandoshans are pretty scary in their hatred of the Wookiees has been kind of an interesting Mm-hmm. thing that's developed over the history of star wars this kind of rivalry between the two but uh he's just a dick <laughs> yep that's <laughs> just a dick i thought for sure that schweck was gonna pick jazz that's why i didn't pick jazz <laughs> uh, well you know we can still t- keep talking a little bit more i'm gonna throw one out here and I haven't, i'm gonna apologize to beth is i'm gonna say black cranston oh yeah i i saw him pop up on a list and i was like wait is that racist no he's from the comics <laughs> i know Cranston is a, a black Wookiee bounty hunter who all we know is that he disgraced himself on Kashyyyk and had to leave. My personal belief is he used his hunting claws, his uh, climbing claws in combat, because that's like very verboten amongst the Wookiees because they have claws, but you're not supposed to use them to fight. Or he just killed another Wookiee. He's worked for Vader. He's worked for Jabba. He's worked with Dr. Afra. Despite Chewie being huge and objectively terrifying, Chewie's actually just a big fuzzy teddy bear that we all want to hug. Black Cranston is not that Wookiee. He is a very scary Wookiee. Yeah, they do a good job with the art on him all the time. Because when he comes in, it's always like hair flying everywhere and teeth. And yeah, he's great. Because if you take the strength and power of Chewbacca and then you put it, make it pure apathetic evil, that's terrifying. (laughs) And so Black Cranston is really scary. It's like what what happens, you know, Chewie, Chewie, who cares? Like we love Chewie, but yeah, Black Cranston is and he's a cool character. And I still think there's more to tell of his story Uh in the books. But if not, that's great. He's just a really good supporting character, which is what what a lot of bounty hunters are. I think if you are reading the bounty hunter comic book series right now, you'll learn that not all bounty hunters make good protagonists. We'll talk about that in a second. Having not read comics, does he actually get in a fight with any Trandoshans since they have such a natural animosity? So many things happen in the Afro comics, it's really hard for me to keep track. <laughs> I can't remember Boss fighting him yet, but Bounty Hunter War starts soon. Oh, yeah. I bet he's in it. He's got to be in it. I'm sure he will. Beth, is there anyone else you wanted to bring up before we talk about once it suck? Well, then I guess we have to talk about Jazz because she's the best part of the Aftermath trilogy. She busts horns off of her head. She is pretty badass. She uses weapons. Yeah. It's basically like if you knocked your own teeth out to throw in somebody's eyes. That's how badass that is. How do you know I haven't done that? (laughs) I haven't. I mean, I don't for sure, but you are just based on history. I don't think that. Say it. Go ahead. Say it, Beth. Just say it. It's okay. I'm a wimp. So am I. I know. I I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to go break my fingers off and throw them at people. Beth, we're sitting at home on microphones talking about Star Wars. We're all wimps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you got one more you want to throw in? Well, are, are we including the ones we don't like in this three? After this, we're just going to rattle off a couple of really crappy ones. But one more that you like. Uh, let's see. Most of my big ones were taken. 
Don't have to go deep. You know, I Dengar is always a joke, but I always thought I like when Dengar shows up in things. <laughs> I love Dengar on Robot Chicken. Yeah. What you party monsters get up to this weekend? I caught one of my bandages in a freaking escalator at the mall, and it took maintenance an hour and a half to unjam that particular disaster. Those were some silly fellows, I kid you not. I haven't seen the cutie at the Dippin' Dots kiosk point and laugh with such cruel, forceful vigor since last month when the exact same thing happened. I like that Dengar's just this dude. Like, he's got some head wraps on. His old story was much cooler. I don't think they have a new origin story for him, but his old story, he said, was he got in a swoop wreck yeah. racing Han Solo. Right. And it kind of hinted at that, like that it's still maybe around. But I think we've seen him in the band-aids before in the bandages before Han would have been. Yeah. So I think there's a timeline. I think there's a timeline thing now where that's actually not a possible origin. But I mean you can't talk about Star Wars Bounty Wars without Dengar. I'll one up you on that one because I know none of you were gonna have the Midichlorians to do it. But I'm gonna say Boba Fett. Here's why. We wouldn't be talking about bounty hunters right now if it wasn't for Boba Fett. He created the bounty hunter craze in Star Wars. He is still the number one most famous, popular one of the bunch. You can like him or not hate him. I like him more now after The Mandalorian because I think that what they've done with his character is amazing. But still, like most of these characters are just takes on Boba Fett. Cad Bane is just a, a Boba Fett, <laughs> you know, like they're yeah. all just Boba Fetts. It is important, I think, that we mentioned him. I actually had a note on there. I would never have said Boba Fett until I saw the Mandalorian. Some people love him. Some people are Ryan. I get it. <laughs> some people are Dave and some people are Ryan, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I understand that. And, you know, I guess, well, Pete hates him too, but there's, but to me, like I said, he's the most important one still, though. He's the most important one of the bunch just for what he's done for Star Wars. You know, Mandalorian definitely won me over a little bit as much as I am hesitant to admit it. And I am excited about his show, which I never would have said before. So who's the worst? Valance. Valance is pretty bad. Beth, this is one time where not reading the comics is a benefit to you. I was going to say, I don't know who that is. so I'm going to assume it's a comic thing. You're good. Here's the problem. There is a current Star Wars comic called Bounty Hunters. And I could care less about reading it. He's not interesting at all. For some reason, he has an Iron Man repulsor glove. It just, I don't care about him one bit. And Marvel is just shoving it down everybody's throat. I don't think Marvel remembers they're publishing that book. I really think it slipped through the cracks because it has nothing to do with nothing. It doesn't. There's no figures. There's no push for it. There's no fan loving it. The only interesting thing that's happened in that book is when Zuckus and Forlom showed up together and they show how they like work together to right. do whatever that they did, that probability business. That was interesting. And then it went back to suckage about Whoever yeah. Valance burned years ago or whatever. I have the last like seven episodes on my iPad waiting for me to read them on a night where I'm very, 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 very bored. Beth, what's a crappy bounty hunter that you thought of? Well, I have two and mm -hmm. I didn't know which one you were going to pick. So I'm just going to say the one that I think is specifically the worst. I was going to pick Zam Wessel because yeah. okay. she fails to kill anyone. <laughs> that is true. She had one job and she failed at it twice. Yeah. And then she gets taken out by another bad bounty hunter. <laughs> she was hired by a not good bounty hunter, failed at her job twice, and then let that not good bounty hunter kill her. Which point? <laughs> that she was a terrible bounty hunter. She was bad at her job. She was bad at being a changeling, which is weird because that's, I'm assuming she was born that way. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's right. She had two jobs. Be a changeling. <laughs> And do your job, do, do what you're paid to do. And she's bad at both. She's terrible at being a changeling. She goes into that bar to hide from Obi-Wan and then tries to shoot him as opposed to just blending in with the crowd, which is what a regular changeling should like. She should be Slizbagio. That that would make sense <laughs> if like it walks away and it does that like mystique X-Men thing. Yeah. You know, where it shows that it's really Zam Wessel. That would make sense. No, Zam Wessel goes through all this to run from them, hides in this sports bar and then just tries to sneak up on the Jedi and shoot him in the back. Here's the question I've always had about Sam Wessel. So her little power is she can shapeshift, right? Maybe. Why does she cover her face? <laughs> like, why does her outfit include this, like, sheet over her face when she can just change it whenever she wants to? What, what purpose are we serving? Maybe keeping up the illusion takes effort. Yeah. And so because I think that like kind of lizardy face, because I think the race is technically a Claudite. Yes. And I think the Claudite face is that kind of natural face that 
she dies with. It, it is. I was just watching a, one of the Clone Wars episodes where they team up with another Claudite that I initially thought was Zam Wessel. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, it can't be. The lizard face, uh, she impersonates one Jedi Master. Then she knocks out Jocasta Nu and takes over her. She does a great job. Whoever that Claudite is takes over everybody's personalities and voices and faces and doesn't seem to have any effort fighting, keeping her face on. <laughs> Here's another question. I mean, I know Jedi do some stupid stuff, and there's some leaps you got to make with Star Wars, but um, she didn't change her clothes. Like, they walk in like, she could be anyone. Yeah, she could be the one still wearing the same outfit, dumbasses. (laughs) (laughs) The one that may be worst at their job is maybe Greedo. (laughs) He was on my list. He's also, if you've, at least in the expanded universe, in the... um, from a certain point of view type stuff, like the Tales from Mos Eisley and everything. He was just a miserable little son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Just a terrible person. We should also mention Sabine Wren was briefly a bounty hunter. I just don't think of her as one. No. Yeah, she didn't do it for long. I thought about mentioning Ketsu. I thought about that. As a proxy for Sabine and kind of that generation of young kind of Mandalorian bounty hunters. But, and, and we didn't, we also didn't even mention Din, Dinjarin, right? Like that's because, you know, I didn't because I thought, you know, the robot was a little cooler. This is the way. Tonight we're talking about a book that did feature actually a lot of bounty hunting. One of the first things that Disney did after buying Lucasfilm was cancel the Clone Wars. I was not amused. They immediately followed that up by announcing Rebels, and Rebels was awesome, so I forgave them. What we didn't necessarily know at the time, or at least I didn't, is that many scripts had already been written for Season 7 of The Clone Wars. A lot of them. Now, we saw a handful of them last year as actual episodes, and they were amazing. But before that, in 2015, they took eight of them and turned them into a book. These unproduced scripts, Lethal Alliance, The Mission, Conspirators, Dark Disciple, Saving Voss, Parts 1 and 2, Traitor, and The Path, were written by Matt Mishnovich, Dave Filoni, and Katie Lucas, George's daughter, who had written the Night Sisters, Savage Press, Resurrection of Maul storyline in previous seasons. And according to Filoni, George Lucas himself had worked with them on this story. The test animatics for the first four episodes and the scripts for all eight were given to Star Wars veteran writer Christine Golden, and she wrote a novel. But a novel that goes into far more adult places than the show could ever have ever did. They named the book after one of those aborted episodes, Dark Disciple. So we start off during the Clone Wars, and there's this Republic ship that's fleeing from the planet of Manori. On the ship, we meet some refugees that you should not get attached to because they are dead very quickly as Count Dooku orders their ship destroyed. But the Jedi Council on Coruscant sees this uh, or a recording of it or a live holo or something. I don't remember. And they are very upset. Mace Windu, who is increasingly looking like one of the true villains in the downfall of the Republic and the Jedi and all of it, is very upset and proposes a very un-Jedi-like solution to the problem. He wants them to consider assassinating Count Dooku. Now, Obi-Wan is not a huge fan of this because it seems very way not cool, but he obeys the council and suggests using his friend and fellow Jedi Master Quinlan Voss to carry out the hit. Voss is a Kifar Jedi that started off in the comics, which are now legends, got a little shout out in Revenge of the Sith and was featured in one episode of Clone Wars and mentioned in a couple of others. Quinlan is known for two things, his psychometry, which is his ability to sense memories and history of other beings by touching objects that they have touched, and for going undercover, which is kind of his thing. He's kind of like the Donnie Brasco of the Jedi, but with super cool kind of face markings. We meet Voss on one such undercover mission, foiling a black market weapons operation, or some black market operation. And then he is recalled to Coruscant to be briefed about his new grisly task. Because not only do they want him to take out Dooku, they want him to find the Count's former protege, assassin, apprentice, and perhaps lover, Asajj Ventress the one being in the galaxy they believe understands the fallen master more than anyone and team up with her to take down Dracula. Sormon. Dooku. First boss has to find Ventress. He heads down to Coruscant's level 1313 and finds it mostly finished but lacking features and still not ready to be released on consoles. Undercover as a bounty hunter, Quinlan finds Bosk and Boba Fett and their gang and inquires about Ventress's whereabouts. And Fett, that little weasel, passes on the info that she is stalking a bounty, because that's what she does now, and Voss jets to the planet Volpi and completely interferes with Asajj's gig, getting in the way of her bounty, while also being charming and annoying and flirty, because Obi-Wan tells him to do that. Obi-Wan basically tells him to seduce her. I know he doesn't technically, but he does tell her that she likes flirting during combat, that she likes witty banter, and Obi-Wan knows this because she's always all up on Obi-Wan whenever they're fighting. Ventress. And here I thought this mission would be unpleasant. 
The pleasure's all mine, my dear Obi-Wan. I've missed you. But who can blame her? Quinlan basically tells her that he's her partner now, which is a bit presumptuous, and she eventually relents when she sees how kind of good he is at the job. Voss spends the next two weeks on Ventress's ship, the Banshee, training in between taking down bounties. And then there's the flirting. Did I mention the flirting? And I don't mean like PG movie cutesy flirting. No one is gazing at their navel and talking about sand. This is, I know you want this. Yes, I really do. But I'm going to tell you that I don't want this. But in a way, you know that I totally do want this kind of flirting. This is two grownups who want to fuck type of flirting. So Voss and Ventress become this bounty hunting team and they're really good at it. Quinlan does his best to hide his force powers while they chase people across the galaxy and somehow they get caught in between the pikes and Black Sun, which is never a good place to be. This job takes them to Mustafar where they have to rent two lava fleas to get around, which is goofy. And then in the process of rescuing a high ranking pikes family from the Black Sun, Voss gets shot, hurt pretty bad and almost falls into the lava, but uses the force to stop himself from plunging into it. I wonder if Anakin ever considered doing that. After that job, Voss reveals to Asajj that he's a Jedi. She says she knows because she's got eyes and has seen him do things that the average Kifar bounty hunter could not. He tells her he wants her help to hunt down Dooku and that he knows that she wants to because she's tried to kill him before. She agrees, but says that she will have to train him in the dark side just a little bit to get him ready to face Dooku. Sometime around this time, Ventress and Voss start doing it. And it's not like empty, soulless, approved by the Jedi Council sex. It's hot. It's passionate, it's forbidden, and unfortunately, it's love, which is a big uh-oh. Ventress takes him to Dathomir, where she walks him through the remnants of Dooku's massacre. See the season four episode of Clone Wars accurately called Massacre. During their time there, the not naked time there at least, Ventress tries to convince Voss that he must really take a deep dive into the dark side to get at Dooku. She tells him that the, it was the man from Sereno who killed Voss's beloved master. We'll find out later that that's a big fat lie, but it helps Voss's desire to put the count down for the shit down, down for the count. The last test Ventress gives Voss on Dathomir is to kill the Sleeper, a near-extinct crustacean creature that lives in a series of pools underneath the Night Sister village. Voss dives down and fights this creature and has to like embrace his dark side to do it, which, yeah, because it feels totally mean and pointless. It's like big game hunting shit. So yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, dark side point for you. Anyway, that proves to Ventress that he's a man enough, I guess, to go after Dooku. It's time to make their move, and they do it sexy spy movie style. They travel to Raxus, where they infiltrate a fancy kind of dinner ball thing in which Dooku is like a guest of honor, and it plays out exactly like a Mission Impossible movie, including the moment when Ventress appears in like a stunning ball gown to everyone's surprise. This eventually leads to a fight between, okay, let's settle this. What's a good couple name for them? I'm going to go with Vostris. So this leads to a lightsaber duel between Vostris and Dooku. Ventress is knocked out and Quinlan is spanked by Dooku, who kicks his ass with some force lightning and captures him and Asajj manages to get away. Oh, and this whole time, Obi-Wan and Quinlan have been covertly meeting at a bar to discuss the mission. But this last time, Quinlan didn't show. So Kenobi freaks and goes to Yoda, who is like, eh, knows what he is doing, I'm sure. A dive into the dark side, not always a bad thing is. Fine, he will be. Probably. That's paraphrasing. Ventress is in a bit of a pickle here because, yes, their plan to kill Dooku didn't work, but it turns out she's in love with that Kifar idiot Voss and needs to rescue him. She heads to Chalman's Cantina on Mos Eisley and hires Boba Fett, Bosk, and a gang of other bounty hunters that I'm sure we didn't really bring up during the mini topic just now, and they stage a mission to Serrano to get Quinlan. They infiltrate Dooku's palace, and Ventress finds her way to Voss, but uh uh-oh, he is not happy because it turns out Dooku has handed Quinlan his dead master's lightsaber, and when he touched it, his psychometry kicked in and he sees that it was Asajj and not Dooku that killed his master. And if you hadn't figured that out by now, I don't know what to say. And he wasn't killed in battle either. He was just flat out murdered, basically executed by Asajj. Voss is enraged and his eyes flash yellow and we all know that's no good. And they have a little lightsaber fight and Ventress books it, double distraught. She's lost her lover, but she's also gained Dooku a new apprentice. That by any measure is a bad day. She's so messed up about it, she goes to Obi-Wan and tells him that Quinlan has fallen. And then she goes on a drunken bender for a little while as the news starts coming out about Dooku's new right-hand man, someone they're calling Admiral Enigma. And I'm pretty sure that's an Aquaman villain, but I could be wrong. But we all know it's actually Voss, and he's out there doing terrible stuff. 
Quinlan's friend Desh, who has been in this book, but sadly falls into the generic late Republic Jedi category, so I kind of forgot about him, comes to Ventress and he and Obi-Wan convince her to come talk to the council. She's not too comfortable with this, and then when they get there, Mace Windu has no freaking chill and he's just the worst, but eventually they agree that if she helps them bring back Voss, she'll get a pardon for all of her crimes, and to be fair, that's a lot of crimes. The rescue mission goes well, and they find Voss hanging half-naked from a set of shackles. I'm not here to kink shame, though. And they rescue him. Turns out he was not Admiral Enigma. He tells Ventress that he was faking it when he attacked her before, that he needed Dooku to think that he had flipped, and that he really hadn't, and that Dooku had continued torturing him, and he totally hadn't gone to the dark side. This is a reasonable enough explanation for the Jedi, because again, he's their undercover dude. This is just what undercover dudes do. They go too far and then they come back at the last second. That's every single undercover dude movie ever. But Ventress isn't convinced, and she insists that Quinlan is still under Dooku's sway, and she rebuffs him when he tries to make nice. The Jedi, who are still deciding if they 100% trust Quinlan, still let him go on a few missions, and those go poorly, and it seems to point out that the Jedi have a mole in their ranks that is feeding info to the Separatists. I wonder who it could be. Man, what a puzzle. Quinlan meets up with Ventress and tells her that he'd rather be with her than be a Jedi, and that after they take down Dooku, he'll leave the Order and they can run off together with like, I don't know, Obi-Wan and Satine, maybe, and they can like be this like sexy foursome, live on a houseboat somewhere or something. I don't know. Could be fun. I'd watch that. So then the Jedi figure out that Voss is the one leaking the info, and Yoda senses that he has been taken by the dark side. But instead of putting him in a cell or something, they decide to test his loyalties by sending him on another mission to kill Dooku with Obi-Wan keeping an eye on him. If he fails this test of loyalty, Kenobi may have to execute him. Yes, execute him. There is a lot of talk in this book by Jedi of executing people, of executing other Jedi. We've never heard this before, and I would like to hear more about it. We're going to talk about this later. Vostris teams up once more for this final mission to kill Dooku. Somehow Ventress and Voss and Anakin and Obi-Wan and Dooku all end up on this dreadnought starship, I think. And Voss and Dooku duel. And this time Quinlan wins, but he doesn't want to kill him because he wants an introduction to Dooku's master, Sidious. This is enough for Kenobi and Skywalker to think their friend is turned. And I'm not quite sure why they don't see what's going on, but okay. And they arrest him. He's put in the brig on a Star Destroyer under the care of Commander Cody. But he escapes, which that makes sense because Cody's pretty good at letting Jedi get away. And he uh, and that escape ends in the killing of a couple of Jedi, including his friend Desh, which is super not cool. Voss, Ventress and Dooku then end up on the Dreadnought and they end up crashing onto Christophsis. I don't remember too much about that, but they survive. Uh, but Dooku is injured. Kenobi secretly contacts Ventress to confirm to her that, yes, Quinlan has turned and that she better get her boy's head on straight or the Jedi are going to have to come kill him. Windu, the man I believe would have ended up Emperor if Sidious hadn't gotten there first, orders them both dead and orders a galactic bombardment of like the Separatist base that they're in. Obi-Wan isn't digging that. It's like he's Nick Fury in the Avengers when the council wants to make, wants to nuke New York, except this time Sam Jackson's playing the council and Obi-Wan's playing Nick Fury. And he and Anakin go in to rescue Asajj and Quinlan. Asajj is gravely hurt by debris from the attack. Voss admits to her that she was right. He had fallen to the dark side, but he was so close to completing his goal, which one should have figured out by now. It was not to kill Dooku, but to use Dooku to get to Sidious so they could get both of them. These guys need to watch more undercover cop shows. There's always another level. Dooku doesn't care about any of this, though, and attempts to force lightning Voss into ash, but Ventress jumps in front, taking the brunt of the attack uh, from the force lightning and is mortally wounded. In her final moments, she and Voss, the man she loves, the man she just gave her life to save, confess their love for each other and as he resists the dark side, becoming fully Jedi once more and refuses to get revenge on Dooku, which allows Dooku to escape, which possibly makes this entire book, story, and her life pointless. So after all that, Voss goes back to the Jedi and he confesses that he had embraced the dark side and joined Dooku in order to get to Sidious and cops to the crimes he had committed, including killing his friend and that other Jedi and some clone troopers. Obi-Wan, doing his old master proud, tells the council that this was their own damn fault for trying to assassinate Dooku in the first place, that they had begun this series of events that led to Voss's fall, a giant smug told you so from Qui-Gon's boy. They buy this and he is reinstated, although I'd like to point out that he killed two other Jedi. And then he and Obi-Wan take Asajj's body back to Dathomir and hear the voices of all the deceased Night Sisters welcoming her home. This book is not for kids. It's not explicit, but it's not for kids. So my first question is, do you like having this version or would you have rather had the show? Oh, that's tough. I think the fact that we get it in any version is good. Just a hypothetical, like, obviously, the show would not have been this dark. The show would not have been this sexy. The show would, this would not be the exact same thing, but it would be 
Clone Wars. I think it it gives you all the Asajj stuff that was always hinted at on the Clone Wars of who yeah. she kind of was. And the book works because it's a dark story. And it should be for what's going on. It's a very dark book. I think as far as the Clone Wars itself goes, though, I think I would have liked to see Asajj's story end on the show. Because you had seen her so much and gone through so much with her on the show. That that would have been nice closure on the show. I honestly had forgotten that you didn't see her die until I read this book. There was no closure to her story and it just totally slipped my mind because season eight was so good. I just I forgot that she didn't get closure. And then I read this book and I was like, oh, my God, what did happen to her on the show? Oh, nothing. She just disappears and you never see her again. But same thing with Quinlan Voss. Well, yeah, those are those characters. They kind of fall into the Ahsoka loophole, right? Where you don't want to kill them off, but they're not in the next movie. (laughs) Voss wasn't important, except for the fact that he doesn't die in the show. So he's presumed alive. But he was not a character I had any connection to. Right. I'd even forgotten his episode until I watched it last night because uh, I hate Zero the Hut so much. <laughs> because yeah. that that over-exaggerated Truman Capote thing that that character does is so freaking irritating. I can't stand the Zero episodes. And then I watched the episode last night and I was just like, wait, who's he supposed to be? Who is, who is Quinlan supposed to be in this show? Because he jumps down in front of Obi-Wan and says, well, well, that's just like your opinion, man. And he totally quotes the dude. I don't have a feel for this character, but I, I knew who Asajj Ventress was and I wanted a closure on her story. Quinlan Voss is Serpico. Like he's the guy that like goes undercover and goes too far undercover. And like mm-hmm. even when he's around the other Jedi, brings some of the things with him, like the way he talks and stuff. Or, you know, he brings that around the Jedi even sometimes like his character that he's playing when he goes undercover. Because I believe in the mainstream comics, they also had a storyline about him and Dooku, right? Yeah, there was a huge storyline about him, him becoming Dooku's protege undercover for a while in the was it the Old Republic? Not the Old Republic comics, but just Republic. Yeah, Republic. I think was the name of the series, right? Yeah, is I think where he debuted. Is that Ostrander mm. that wrote those? I'm not sure. But he started off there and he became a very he kind of became the lead character of that comic for a while. And then now correct me if I'm wrong, though, I believe he's the only Jedi mentioned in the prequels that Lucas didn't create because he's actually called out by name in Revenge of the Sith because Lucas was a fan of the character. Mm-hmm. Where was it in Revenge of the Sith? Because I don't remember that. It's just when they're going to like there's one war room scene. You missed the reports on the Outer Rim sieges. I'm sorry I was held up. I have no excuse. In short, they are going very well. Silukamai has fallen, and Master Voss has moved his troops to Boss Pity. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's a little thing, but it was a big deal at the time because it was a reference to the comics in the movie as opposed to vice versa. I think I would rather have this book. I don't want every Star Wars book to feel like this, but I'm glad this, that this one does, if that makes sense. There's no hope in this book. Like... It ends poorly for everyone involved. It begins poorly for everyone involved. (laughs) Jesus Christ. It does begin. (laughs) You said, don't get attached to those refugees. Uh, Golden does a really good job of like getting enough detail into the refugees about like how they were. They're basically bees. (laughs) Like where they have this like weapon, like this stinger in their body that can only use once and it kills them. It's poison or whatever. And they, they she builds up this entire thing and all everything. And then they just get blown up. But what I did like is that I could picture it like yeah. I could picture it animated. It yeah. was well written enough in the Clone Wars style that I could picture all of that animation until it got to the, you know, beyond the flirting. And then I was like, <laughs> no, I can't picture that animation. Well, what do we think then? How far do you think the show would have gone? Obviously, it's not going to show sex scenes, but like, how I mean, far think, does it ha- does it really have the Jedi sending him to assassinate Dooku? I don't think they'd say it. Uh-uh. I think they would do that thing where they kind of hint around at it, like you need yeah. to take care of this. But they would never have the Jedi come out and say it. I'll admit this: I'm a liberal hippie snowflake, want to be pacifist, socialist, whatever you want to call me. But I do sometimes have a hard time with the idea that it's a bad thing to assassinate leaders of the country you're at war with. Like, they're the ones that give the orders. They're the ones that give the orders to drop the bombs, not the people. Like, they're more culpable than the people that drop the bombs. So I've never 100% understood the taboo of that during wartime. Well, they even say it in this book, millions, potentially 
millions of people versus one man. That's not tough math. Even for a nice person, that's not tough math. Even Yoda's like, well, I mean, I guess we do it. We must. But it still feels super dark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and at this point, they know that Dooku is not the master. So it doesn't really like, I mean, it would make more sense for the Jedi to still be trying to capture him to figure out who she is. That's true. And Quinlan does pick up on that, I guess. Oh, that is a good point. Yeah. I didn't even no. think about that. Mace Windu's the worst, right? Oh my god, he's such a dick. He's the worst. And and he wasn't ever great, because he always was a really angry Jedi. But see, I like this, though. I like that Mace Windu's one of the bad guys. Yeah. Like, he's one of the villains of the saga. I kind of like that. <laughs> That's inter- That's more interesting than the character we got in the movie. You know, the character we got in the movie wasn't very interesting, but this idea that he's a huge part of their downfall and a huge part of the rot from within without mm-hmm. even really knowing it. I think that's awesome. I don't know if the authors are doing that on purpose, but taking a wide view, taking a macro view, looking at all the things we've read certainly feels like it. I mean, he's directly responsible for almost all of the decisions that end with Anakin turning, right? Because I think he's technically the head of the council, right? Is he? Is there a head to the Jedi Council? Do we know that for sure? I thought Yoda was in charge. I don't think Yoda's in charge. I think Mace Windu is always referred to as like the head of the council. But I don't think in the movies they ever mentioned having a head of the council. But everybody kind of just looks at Yoda when when they're talking about what they want to do. Everybody kind of turns to Yoda and like, well, I don't know. What does Yoda think? Because he's the wisest, but I don't think he's supposed to be the leader. But I don't know. Maybe it shifts, right? When they go to war, Windu is the warrior. Yoda is the more mm. monk trainer part. And so I'm when. Sorry. Have, you, have you seen him jump around like a Muppet? With his lightsaber? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have. Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't seen him jump around like a Muppet. I've seen him jump around like a drawing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what goes on when Yoda trains. We haven't seen a whole lot of it. But maybe Yoda wants to consider teaching everyone else how to catch Force Light. It seems like <laughs> <laughs> that would be a useful skill for many characters in the Star Wars saga. They have a really bad defense against a Dark Arts teacher there. <laughs> So they just can't find anybody <laughs> to teach him a proper Patronus. Expecto Patronum! It is interesting how some people are just able to handle the Force Lightning and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. The power of it is very vague. This, I mean, in this, it one shot kills Asajj. She was pretty hurt already. I guess. I guess. I mean, the whole idea, of the, but Luke undergoes like minutes of it. Yeah. He's kind of wrists on the ground a little bit. <laughs> Luke undergoes minutes of it. And as soon as he stops, he sits up. He's like. <laughs> Like, uh, shit, that she, hurt. Yeah, and then he drags Vader all through the Death Star. I mean, Vader's got to weigh like 900 pounds. <laughs> to me as a kid, the the reason that Vader was sacrificing himself or the reason it, it had to be a sacrifice was that the Force Lightning completely shorts out Vader's... Right. His ability to breathe and all these different things, right? Which is why when he tells Luke, I'm already dying, it's not necessarily that the Force Lightning has ravaged him. It's the Force Lightning has destroyed his life support. So the power level of Force Lightning, I think, has been a little... Something in Star Wars was vague. If you play the Force Unleashed, you can do some crazy stuff with Force Lightning. <laughs> I yeah, want to see yes. that. So we have Voss going undercover. What did you think about their relationship? <sighs> did it feel natural to you or did it feel like this is just the story we need to tell? It felt natural. I think so. And, you know, who's, who's going to turn down Asajj Ventress? Who, who would dare because she would break them? Mm-hmm. I mean, they do kind of stake that out at the beginning, though, where Obi-Wan's like, by the way, flirt with her. Like, <laughs> he was he was kind of like the way to get to her is through her pants. I mean, that was kind of what he was saying, you know? Yeah. And I remember there's one bar scene where they meet up and it's almost like Obi-Wan's a little jealous of Quinlan and her do start hooking up. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she meets up with Obi-Wan at a bar and they start drinking together after Voss turns and, and they go back to their old like, you know what sucks is that uh, we might have to kill Voss, but uh, hey, you want a drink? But I think you're right, right? There's, there's two levels to that. One, there's just a the jealousy of Obi-Wan's like, man, you know what? I'm sitting back here not getting anything. <laughs> I'm sitting back here playing monk. And you're out there having sex in the name of, you know, doing good. And I got a girlfriend on Mandalore. <laughs> right. And then there's the other part of me that thinks maybe she's probably dead by now. Time mm. Timeline wise. I don't know. There's a other part of me. Maybe he's thinking like, hey, I was the one flirting with her. Yeah, that's totally <laughs> how I read it. I thought I was special. Exactly. <laughs> I, I like their relationship. I, I think it's pretty cool. Like I said, it's never explicit, but it's very clear. Yeah. About what's happening between them, right? The the clearest it gets is when Obi-Wan says something in front of the council about 
you became lovers, but they they never have like a sex scene. They have close to a sex scene. Yeah, they kind of have lead-ins to a couple. They definitely reference it throughout. And um, and I remember, I mean, this was six years ago. I remember that feeling very strange for a Star Wars book, just in general. Like now we've had a little bit more adult stuff in Star Wars, I think. Mm-hmm. And Lost Stars has the love scene and... Um, you know, we've had same sex relationships and we've had things in like the Padme books and stuff that are more adults and, and, and whatever. But like this felt so R rated. <laughs> <laughs> Did she die for nothing? <sighs> kind well, of. I think in terms of this story, she kind of does. But her whole arc over the right. entire Clone Wars, um, including Jedi Lost, I think it's a good, you know, that it's Dooku that takes her out. Like, that's right. what it should have always been. She's got a really tragic story the whole way through. It, it's a good redemption for her. And, and I like the way it it does end for her. But, I mean, ultimately it doesn't serve anything because it's not like her death is the thing that brings Voss back. He was already back. Right. He started off fine. Mm-hmm. Right. He he started off okay. He ends up okay. Her Her death doesn't. She sacrifices herself to save him, though. And that was always a big thing with her, that she was only in it for herself. I think it ends up being really pointless, but I think that's on purpose because at the end, Obi-Wan's like, you guys did this. (laughs) I love that at the end where Obi-Wan's like, this isn't anybody's fault but yours. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you you sent a Jedi to assassinate someone. Did you think that was going to be full of the light side? Did you think he wouldn't have to touch the dark to do that? We sent him, you knew we were sending him with a former a former Sith apprentice who is hot. You didn't think these bad things were going to happen? This is all on you guys. And I, I, I liked Obi-Wan kind of standing up because Obi-Wan was against it. He went with the orders, but he was always vocally very much against this mission. I do like that they never had her even consider switching to the light. I think some authors that might have been a story beat they thought about is having her actually switch sides. She never does. Like she stays who she is till the end. And I thought that was good. There is a moment at the end where she feels the force. Mm-hmm. She feels the light side of the force for the first time. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice moment. And I really liked her being reunited with the night sisters. Yes. I would have liked to see yeah. that on the clone wars, like see that animated, especially since the massacre happened on the clone wars. Right. And I, I just watched that episode as well. Last night, I, I tried to do all my homework because I, we had enough time. I read the book twice and I was like, all right, what else? <laughs> so I watched all of that. And uh, yeah, that's dark too. That's a rough episode. It is, but it did help me feel the end of this book even more Yeah, because I, it's been so long since I'd seen that. So you mentioned that like Quinlan was only on one episode, really. Like I said, he makes a couple of little appearances, but he's only on one episode of the Clone Wars. This was going to be a season where they, they dedicated an entire eight episode story to him. Mm-hmm. Why do you think? Do you think that's George putting his finger on the scales or Katie? Because George apparently likes him, right? He name drops him in the movie. Up until that point, he had existed the basically the entire time the show was on and they barely used him. Mm-hmm. So did Filoni see the light or was George like, you know, let's uh, let's up his profile a little bit. I don't know. Can you do something with my boy? What, well, when I read that it was eight episodes, I was like, that's, that's a third of a season yeah. that they were going to dedicate to this story of Ventress. But at least Ventress has been on the show as a big part of the show. Voss had not been. So I just thought I, it would have been cool, but it would have been an interesting departure to all of a sudden have Quinlan Voss be our lead character for a while. Anakin's not in this at all. Like, I mean, a little bit. Yeah, he's in that one. Maybe two scenes, but... Yeah, but he's not part of the story. Obi-Wan is only connected to Obi-Wan because he's the handler. Mm-hmm. This book is basically just uh, Notorious, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, if anybody's seen it, or <laughs> the awful remake of it called Mission Impossible 2, which is the exact same story. Mm-hmm. I think this is a, one of the books that shows us most clearly how rotten the Jedi are at this point, right? Or how far afield they've gone. Yeah, how desperate they're getting. Have we ever heard them talking about executing people before? No, and it's bothersome to me that Obi-Wan is the only one who says no. Everybody else, Ryan's hero, Plo Koon, is like, yeah, I guess we got to do it. Yoda is like, if this is what we got to do. It's not in, It's not an aside. Many, many, many paragraphs of this book mm-hmm. are dedicated to the discussion of whether or not to execute Quinlan Voss. And I think it's partially, you know, this book takes place towards the end of the Clone Wars. Yeah. But it's when they're getting desperate. Nothing's working. Nothing. They're losing battles everywhere. And I guess they 
decide to throw a Hail Mary. I just I can't help but wondering how the show would have tackled it. I, I did not realize it was going to be an eight episode arc. I thought it was like a four episode arc until I looked at Wikipedia and was like, what? Eight? It's four episodes. And at the end of the fourth episode is when he gets captured uh, by. So the so the first four episodes are yeah him, them giving him getting the mission, him meeting her, them being friends and more. And then all the way up to the point where Dooku captures him. And then the next two are about his rescue. And then the, the last two. There would have been like it would I think it would have felt like two different arcs. Can you imagine the voiceover at the beginning of Clone Wars if they had gone with this book and like <laughs> previously on the Clone ends. Wars? The Jedi had straight sit women boss to murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do we feel about them forget how Voss kind of getting off the hook? That was their fault though. Yeah, but he killed he killed other Jedi. Not on purpose. It that part really was an accident. I think I less understand him staying. Like, for me, it just makes more sense for him to walk away at the end of that and be like, you know what? Uh-uh. This is not what I signed up for. Look what y'all are turning me into. I'm out. I'm going to go find Ahsoka and see what she's up to. Mm-hmm. Voss, at least in, in other literature, in other depictions of him, he's a character that enjoys those forays into the dark side. Yeah. And I... I I was joking, but I'm not joking. Like you watch any undercover cop movie. It's always about that guy that like part of the job is to go too far. Right. It, it, Donnie Brasco, Serpico uh, was a deep cover. Great movie with Jeff Goldblum and um, Lawrence Fishburne. These movies, but the, but the one of the conceits of a, of a, an undercover movie uh, in the, uh, the departed is the idea that like the undercover person always has to go a step or two too far to really prove that they're undercover. Uh-huh. I think of Quinlan Voss as the Jedi's, like I said, as the Jedi's undercover agent. He's their chuckles. And so when he goes and does this and yeah, he's like, yeah, I fell to the dark side, but I was trying to get the information. I didn't get the information. I'm cool now. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of what he does. I think one of the reasons they, they forgive him so much is because, yes, Obi-Wan's right. He They started this, but also because this is just kind of what he does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they know one day they might not get him back, but, you know, and that's why they have the plan apparently in place to execute him. But his other the only other mission we actually see him take on is talking to an art dealer. Oh, yeah, it's art. That's right. Yeah, it's kind of like the beginning of like Beverly Hills Cop or something. It's like an undercover, like underground art dealer who who has stolen or kills people to take their art or something. But he's still it's an art dealer. That's the only other mission. But I think it was financing the separatists or something, right? There was there was a separatist tie. Regardless, though, it wasn't involving anything about murdering people or going deep undercover and becoming like their new buddy. He wasn't Donnie Brascoing anybody. And, and, and as soon as he like, you know, goes to Dooku and is like, I want an introduction to your master. I'm like, yeah, of course he does. He's trying to get to him. And Obi-Wan and Anakin are like, oh, you're under arrest. We caught you, you vile fiend. And I'm like, dude, you just, it's that classic scene in the movie where you just blow up somebody's bust. And everybody's so super strong in the force that nobody senses that Obi-Wan and Anakin are in the (laughs) room. Okay, so we need them to figure out hyperspace, communications. (laughs) I would like a little clarity on sensing people in the force <laughs> like how that all works well I, i'm a little confused on his how do you say it his telep or whatever it is telepathy telepathy, telepathy or, yeah not, not telepathy uh to lot no i don't even i don't have it in front of me so i don't know what it is because this book ends a whole lot sooner if we, he's hanging out with assage and just randomly touches something is like whoa all right like she's wearing <laughs> like the same bracelet from that day or something all that time he spends with her and and with her, he doesn't touch something mm-hmm. that triggers memories the entire time. He doesn't like go to unclasp her bra and he gets a flashbacks. Does he not get that from touching? Uh, no, it's only from inanimate objects. Yeah. But surely something was around. So she never wore the same socks twice, I guess. He's like, why don't you ever let me undress you? Just don't <laughs> touch my clothes. I don't remember what I was wearing that day. Get your hands off my stuff. What was up with killing that uh, monster thing? I never got that part. Just killing the last of something. I don't know. It felt mean. It was like, it's I mean, the I dark side. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. I know. I know. That was almost his most unforgivable sin for me. <laughs> to me, though, it, she keeps talking about walking the line between the light and the dark and just murdering an innocent ancient beast for no reason isn't walking a line. To her, it's just a, you know, it's part of 
growing up on Dathomir, mm-hmm. you know, I guess. In the moment, it feels really bad. Again, maybe it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. You don't walk away from this book cheery. No. Would you call it fun? Oh, there's no fun in this book. Mm-mm. I'd say it's entertaining. Yeah, it's really good. I liked it a lot, but it's not fun. It's a pretty deep dive into some real rough territory with both these characters. I mean, it's her book. It's really her book. Yeah. Yeah. She's the one with the biggest arc. She's the one, you know, that it is her final story. We stay with her when he gets captured, not with him. You know, we don't get to see what really happens while he's being captured, except for just a little bit. We stay with her. It's more about how she's handling all of this. At least the second half is maybe the first half is him and the second half is her. I don't even I almost get the sense at the end, unfortunately, that he's just kind of he'll probably just brush this off. Yeah. You know that like because because of his Jedi-ness and maybe this is part of the shittiness of it, too, is because he's a Jedi, he's going to be able to meditate this away, you know, and he'll subsume he'll he'll let his grief go and he'll let all this stuff go and he'll go back to being Zen hippie guy. That's something the Jedi can do is purge them or supposed to be able to do is purge themselves of this emotion. It's almost like it's almost like the Jedi just uh, ruin other people's lives. (laughs) (laughs) What did I hear a couple of a couple of sisters talk about that in a season of a television show (laughs) recently? (laughs) I think I did. Did we ever meet his master in anything else? Not that I can think of. I assumed that you guys would know something about it from a comic. I don't remember. Maybe he was in the comics. Okay, when these were written, those comics still would have been canon. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing, yeah, so that might have been his master in the comics, so that might have happened. I'd have to go back and check, actually, and look that up. And see see if there is actually a comic where she kills that Jedi. Now, I am surprised that old Alien never shows up in this book. Who? Ayla Sakura. Because that's his oh, Padawan. Yeah. You would think that she would have shown up at some point. Again, it's hard to tell with the show, like... Where were they at in the series? Mm-hmm. Was she still as Padawan when the war was over? Or was she already, was she a full-fledged, full-fledged knight by then? Well, she was dead when the war was over. <laughs> well, sorry. By the time we get to Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a good time going back and reading this book. It was actually also really enjoyable after kind of, after that last season of Clone Wars, kind of reinvigorating my love for the show and kind of diving back into that world. But a very, it is, it is interesting to kind of mix this adult, story in with all these familiar characters from clone wars Mm -hmm. but man the jedi council don't they don't they don't feel like good guys (laughs) at all and i wonder if that's what filoni's was aiming at in that season you know or where he eventually got to do we feel like the show eventually really explicitly got there Mm. or was mace windu still kind of a hero by the time we get to the end of the show i think they were still portraying him as a hero he he was a tougher jedi than most of the council but yeah i think he was still a he was still a good guy so how is our image of this coming from is it coming from books of mace yeah or just the <sighs> just the general rot of the council in general or or is it just little things but we read everything <laughs> you know what i mean like there's little things here and there but since we read everything we put it all together and go like they're just rotten yeah i think you know if you read the books and you see this other stuff and then when you watch the movie and see some of the actions they do it puts it more in context, like what Mace is doing and how terrible he is. One one of the episodes I watched last night was uh, Mace and Anakin stranded on a Star Destroyer after uh, they were attacked by Boba Fett and Aura Singh. And Mace force calls Jango's old helmet over to him and says, oh yeah, this is that guy I killed on Geonosis. And Anakin goes, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> when I cut that dude's head off. <laughs> And, and he's, Mace says, yeah, I, I chopped his head off and, and uh, his kid watched. <laughs> like it was nothing. Like, yeah, that's that's just some shit I did. <laughs> sure <laughs> sucks. And we totally just straight left that kid behind holding his dad's <laughs> head or whatever. How different is galactic history if they like take Boba in, yeah. take care of him, find him a nice home somewhere? All right. Uh, anything else you got on the book? I mean, I think one thing about Voss, you know, Voss is one of the few Jedi that we don't know where he goes you know it's confirmed that he survives the initial jedi purge and then past that it's kind of empty he shows up in that uh the vader when he builds the castle to talk to padme he's one of the force ghosts there (sighs) but it's never really confirmed like are those real i like to think no because plukun is also included in that scene (laughs) but we're gonna um, have an intervention But like, yeah, he, you know, he's one of those rumored, he was, you know, rumored to show up on the Mandalorian. 
he's one of those yeah. ones that's still out there somewhere. Before Disney, that was also kind of the thing was also confirmed, right? That he had survived it. Yeah, and they say, yeah, because it happens on uh, Rebels. The Inquisitors mention him and say that he's out there, and that's one of the ones they're going after. Before we go, though, I think we should talk about this for a second. And this is all speculation, just so we know, unless you know guys know anything. But for a hot minute there, it looked like Katie, Luke, Katie Lucas was going to be the heir apparent. Yeah. Or at least that she was going to be highly involved in Star Wars. She had written several episodes of Clone Wars. She created Savage Opress. Isn't she the one that resurrected Maul? Yep. She she's the one who for the who did the who did the I don't think it's the first time. Is it was it the first time we saw the Night Sisters? That's right around those episodes. And that's adapted from the old Dave Wolverton book, Courtship of Princess Leia, which I'd love to read one time just to see us to talk about, just to see how the Night Sisters were originally presented and how they are now. Katie Lucas was like kind of building this whole version, uh, you know, all that stuff that led up to like Mortis and all those things like that stuff. And, and the whole Salvage Opress, the Night Sisters, all that stuff was Katie Lucas writing those episodes. And that I remember that being like news when that happened. Mm-hmm. Disney happens and she just vanishes. Mm-hmm. So I guess they decided they didn't want to have any help from any of the Lucases. But she does do the foreword to this book. And it seems like she was pretty involved yeah. in what Star Wars was becoming at the time. So I think that's kind of a shame that we didn't maybe get a chance to see what she could really do, you know, or maybe George didn't, maybe she didn't want it. I don't know. She might've pulled back, you know, there's all that talk about Disney made promises to Lucas about that. They would honor kind of where he was taking some stories, particularly with the sequel trilogy and then went back on it pretty hard. And, you know, she might just be part of when Disney pulled away from Lucas. Pentress? It looks like I'm here to rescue you. When did you become the good guy? Don't insult me. Oh, what a lovely sight to wake up to. Don't flatter yourself, Kenobi. You've never been much to look at, especially now. That was a very intense book about two people. Next up, we're going to read a book about how many people is it, Beth? Like 30? Oh, we're reading a book about a lot of different people, but it's actually written by 40 different authors. Because oh, 40. Okay. It is the 40th anniversary book ah. of A New Hope. So we are going to read from a certain point of view by a who's who of Star Wars authors, including Christy Golden from Tonight. Uh, we've also got Ray Carson. We've got John Jackson Miller. We've got Claudia Gray. Daniel Jose Older. We've got Will Wheaton, for God's sake. Also, uh, Gary Witta. Gary Witta, Pablo Hidalgo. We've got... Oh, Pablo, Pablo writes a story. Kevin Scott. And at the very end, we not only get a story by E.K. Johnson, co-written by Ashley Eckstein, but we do also get some Wills at the end. Yeah. And a lot of comic book writers. Yes, that I did not recognize their names, so I did not mention them. Sorry. <laughs> I, I have not read it, so I'm excited. Uh, I highly recommend the audiobook if you are not so inclined to read, but the audiobook has the likes of Neil Patrick Harris and John Hamm doing Boba Fett. I mean, come on. They're quick, they're easy, and they're read by different people. It keeps you on your toes and it keeps you in the story. So that it's not one person reading to you for nine hours. And some of it gets real weird. And some of it's real weird. We will have our uh, special guest friend from the Dragon Con Sci-Fi American Classics tracks, Gary Mitchell. Back for his second appearance. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us. And we will talk to you all extremely soon. Extremely soon, yeah. Well, okay, so nobody will know that it's a week away. <laughs> we will talk we the, that we're cramming a couple in here. Yeah. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.